When I talk to property investors, they often tell me using debt is a key advantage over other asset classes. In the stock market, using debt is often called gearing. The new BetaShares Wealth Builder Funds, ASX ticker symbols G200 and GHHF, offer moderate gearing across Australian and global shares for investors who are comfortable with the higher risks associated with gearing their investments. You can discover how they work by visiting betashares.com.au. Please don't forget that gearing magnifies gains and losses, so read the relevant PDS and TMD on the website and consider if the fund is right for you. BetaShares Capital Limited is the issuer. Is there a Spotify wrapped for investing? If you want to invest in shares or ETFs, our friends at Perla are more than one step ahead of the curve. On average, people who use Perla invest $1,750 every month. That's what we want to see, proper dollar cost averaging. With automated investing tools making your life simple, Perla investors have well and truly mastered the art of investing small bits lots of times. So if you're ready to start growing your net worth in 2024, follow the link in your Spotify or Apple podcast player right now to discover how you can get started today. Welcome to the Australian Finance Podcast. I'm Kate Campbell. And I'm Owen Rask. And we're here to give you the tools and knowledge to invest both your time and money better. If you're new, feel free to jump in with our Starter Pack series that aired in early 2022 or our Shares or ETF mini series. We've got plenty to share with you in today's episode, but if you want to catch us on socials, head to Rask Australia on Insta and Twitter. I'm also found at Kate Campbell AUS on Insta. And I'm Owen Rask AU on Insta. Just beware of the fake accounts. We'll never DM you about trading strategies or crypto. And if it sounds a bit weird, it's probably not us. And just one final heads up before we get into the show. This podcast contains general financial information only. Kate Campbell, welcome to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. Wonderful to be back, Owen. That pause wasn't because I forgot where I was. It was just, I've been trying to think of a funny... Finance, finance. It's not because you're running too many Fine podcasts arts. and you have to really think about which one you're on. No, no. <laughs> it's a, a long running joke in the US on the uh, Ritholtz Wealth Management podcast. If you're familiar with those, they don't, they're not sure if it's finance or f- finance or fine arts. How do you say it? I don't know. Let us know in the comments. Well, there's definitely no T in finance, but anyway. We'll see how we go. How are you going? I'm good. I'm good. And we're here for our very first market update of the year where we get a sort of a pulse check of what's happening in the economy, what's happening in the stock market, unpack some of those headlines that you see in the paper that the world is crumbling and the the stock market's fallen or risen and billions have been made or lost. So we try to deep dive into some of those things in this episode that we do each month and figure out, is there anything you need to know? Is there anything you need to take action with? Is there anything you just need to go, okay, I understand that's going on, but I can just sit back and let my plan play out. Yeah. A lot of the finance news is up in the clouds. People have their head up there and they kind of, you know, get dilly dally over all this data. They kind of like sift through it and find the things that they think matter and then they come up with newsworthy or clickable headlines. Um, but oftentimes what happens with a lot of the finance stuff you come across is that almost all of it seems totally abstract and not relevant. So what we try and do with this episode is we take those big things that you may need to know, avoid a lot of the stuff that you don't need to know, and we just 
tell you if it's steady as she goes, which is, by the way, almost always going to be the case. So if you get to the end of 2024 listening to this update and you're like, 11 of the 12 months, Owen and Kate said not to do anything. This doesn't seem like it's worthwhile, but that is what investing is. Uh, as the Morgan Housel quote goes, long-term investing, 99% of long-term investing is doing nothing. It's the other 1% that changes your life. And I'll give you a really crystal clear example of this. So in our membership, Brass Core, which is where we help people invest in ETFs, uh, you can join. It's only it's now $49 a month. Uh, check it out in the show notes. Uh, when we do portfolio changes, people are surprised by how little we often do. So this year, we made some big changes in January. We tilted the portfolios in a meaningful way. But the last time that we'd made a change to our ETF portfolios was December, I'm going to get this wrong, 2021. So we hadn't changed any of the investments from December 2021 until 2024. I could, maybe it was 2022. I can't remember. It was that long ago. <laughs> but the, the point is this, that oftentimes if you build a good portfolio, you don't need to change it a lot. You may need to tweak bits here and there. Like we switched recently uh, out of gold, which we'll talk to in a minute. Um, but that wasn't like a major position for us anyway. And I can explain why that change has been made. But that's just an illustration of if you're a long-term investor, the news cycle is 24-7, but the reality is you should be able to check in with your portfolio once every three months if you're doing it yourself and not much has changed. Mm. Yeah. And that's the thing. A headline that, oh, the ETF went up 5% or 10% this year isn't exciting. No one's going to click that. They need to have really big headlines of this went up 20%, this went up 50%, this went down 100% for you to click. Yeah, there was a headline uh, from the AFR, not to single them out, but I will. Uh, the, the AFR came out with an article recently or something to the effect of, this is what the top economic forecasters think of inflation or something like this. That's a lot easier to click on than say, inflation was 4.1% in the December quarter in line with estimates. Like no one Sounds cares. Pretty boring. Yeah, that's yeah. the end of the story. Um, and so um, I do have a very quick punchy note here that um, I have a list. I maintain this very robust list of news outlets that I never trust for financial forecasts. And I'll read through them quickly. The AFR, news.com.au, Nine News, SMH, which is Sydney Morning Herald, The Australian, any stock or investment related website and every other organization. So basically you don't trust any forecasts. Don't trust any forecasts. Do you make forecasts yourself? I don't make forecasts. I just have, like, like I just look at the historical data and we just take into account what is abnormal. And this is, if you think about long-term investing in ETFs primarily, you don't need to panic because you know that you own the entire stock market. You own the entire bond market. You own cash. You own gold, a tiny bit of Bitcoin, whatever. You don't have to worry about which stock goes up, which stock goes down. Um, and so you can kind of just have parameters, very broad parameters that say, you know, if my portfolio is out of balance 10%, then I'll definitely rebalance, which is what we do. If it's only 5 or 6% out of whack, doesn't matter. And the reason why you want to have loose kind of just bounds up and down is because every time you place a trade, you're going to pay tax and you're going to pay fees. So yet another good reason why you shouldn't be overactive when you're investing. Now, if you own stocks, which I do, you probably do want to be a bit more active because you want to be on top of it and it's perfectly fine. But if you're building a core ETF portfolio, you don't need to be that active. But Owen, people want predictions. It makes us feel like we've got some certainty and control in this world. Yeah. Imagine if um, you could say, 
um, top medical experts, uh, top medical experts say this about your risk of getting cancer this year. You're going to click on the article, but the reality is those medical experts have no idea if you're going to get cancer this year or not. Sure, you might be able to look at the statistical tables for like a whole population or like a sample and see where you fall in. Same with finance. They just don't know, but the, the idea that you could somehow avert disaster is a wonderful way to get you to click and to get you to buy products and whatever. And the reality is a lot of that stuff is random. Now, not going to get into the health of it. You could say that there are things you can do there. Absolutely. For finance, there are things you can do as well, but they're not often imminent things. Like unless you're a hyperactive investor and you're doing this full time, you don't really need to know. The unfortunate reality is that most people hear one thing in the news or just read the headline. They don't even go into the article. Um, and they think that correlation equals causation. They'll see like, they'll have some sort of confirmation bias, like Tesla drives into wall and they go, oh, my friend bought a Tesla recently. It's got autopilot and he said it wasn't that good, right? And so you think that these two pieces of information confirm each other, but it's just an example mm. that people can take one thing out of context and think it applies to them. And just be really, really mindful that there is, is almost never the case. Yeah. There's I, a bit we can learn from data, though. Yeah, you can. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a valid point. Like, I'll give you an example. We Today, we will talk a little bit about currencies. Uh, and people often don't know which ETFs to select based on what currency it's in. And so, if you're new to ETFs, don't worry about this. You can just skip forward the next one minute. But if you've been investing a while, you know that there's effectively almost always two ETFs that do the same thing, but one neutralizes currency. That's called a hedged. Uh, don't be confused with hedged fund. It just means currency hedged, like it's just like neutral, like the your neighbor's hedge that's outside and it's wonderful. It's flat, right? Um, one hedges the currency and neutralizes that impact, so there's no fluctuations. And the other one is unhedged, where it just floats with the currency of the day. So. The hedged ETF has a regular gardener keeping things yes, flat and yeah, steady. Yes, and you pay more to have someone do that for you, right? Just like you would for a hedged uh, currency hedge <laughs> ETF. Uh, the perfect example of this, guys, is NDQ from BetaShares. People will know that the NASDAQ is the NASDAQ 100, uh, uh, this ETF, and it did exceptionally well last year. It returned 53% in 2023, which when I did these numbers just before, I had to double check that I was getting it right. So that did 53%. Now, the hedged version, the that's the one that kind of neutralizes the currency, that did 51. So you see there's a 2% difference there. There are some years where the difference between the hedge one and the unhedged one are like 10%. Now, so people then often think, well, maybe I should toggle between the two. Like some years I should have the hedge one, some years I should have the unhedged one. And the data in this case, to your point, Kay, does help us a little bit. Uh, so you can understand what the average currency might be over a long period mm -hmm. of time. And it's in the low 70s. So the Australian dollar historically sits in the low 70 cents range. And so you know that if the currency is like 50 cents, like it has been in, at times, that's really low. So you may be able to act. Or if the currency goes above $1, which it has done uh, early 2010s, you know that you could probably put your money into US dollars and make money just simply by making a choice that you're getting a different currency exposure. And the data is the best way to do that. There's a lot of people who think you can predict currencies, and you can to an extent, but it's one of the hardest markets to predict. So you have these like general rules of thumb based on proper data that make sense. You can't really do that as much with stocks, like individual stocks, because it's a bit more random. 
Now, Owen, something that we asked the community about and you shared some data over the summer on Twitter and LinkedIn was household savings data because cost of living seems to be every second article I see at the moment. So it was really interesting to see how much the average Australian has in savings. Some of the data you looked at from Westpac Group showed that the average Australian has $22,000 across their transactions, savings and term deposit accounts. Yeah. So this reinforces a lot of the other data, which we should mention is nuanced. Sometimes there are things that are included in these surveys and some that isn't. The first thing that came to my mind was what about offset accounts? Yeah. And so people, that's what a lot of people say is like a lot of people that are wealthier will have an offset account attached to their mortgage, which increasingly most people do nowadays. They have offset accounts instead of redraw facilities because of the flexibility. However, even amongst people that have offset accounts, many of them don't even have $2,000 in there. So they might have the offset account, but they're using their money just to pay the mortgage. They don't have enough to put it in savings. So even though, yes, that would skew the data upwards, there's probably a lot of data that could capture it on the downside as well. And I remember quite a few years ago, one of the pieces of information that really struck home for me was that about a quarter of Australians can't save $2,000 in an emergency fund. Um, Ramit Sadie, who I know you follow quite closely, put out something um, on Twitter or X recently, and he said something to the effect of a $10,000 piece of furniture at current interest rates in the United States would take over 30 years to repay, and it would cost you $130,000 if you just paid the minimum repayments. And that's because a lot of people that have these consumer debts, as we know, like payday loans, these types of things, um, they're not able to save a substantial amount of money to get to even having a, an emergency fund of, say, $2,000 mm-hmm. because they're still so far behind the, the start line, so to speak. And the thing, the reason why I shared this, and I, I, it always happens when I share this savings data, whether it's on X or whether it's on LinkedIn or whatever, there's always at least one or two people, particularly in the finance industry, that jump on top of this data and say, yeah, well, people shouldn't be buying jet skis and if only they did this and I did that and, you know, and I'm like, yeah. No shit. Like, of course. Um, But the reality is a lot of people cannot simply afford to save $2,000. They don't have the ability. They weren't, you know, they didn't go to the right school and hear from a good teacher who told them about savings or term deposits or interest rates. And so the reality is a lot of Australians don't have the savings that you think that they have. And even those that do tend to also have a lot of debt. And, you know, we had one or two comments, like someone, uh, Matt on X said, this is crazy. Even the super balances seem super low to me. And that's because I shared another chart that showed that the average super balance is again, not at all what you'd think. And again, we we haven't had super for that long, but you get the point. Like there's a lot of people out there that don't have the savings that you think that they would have. And so when interest rates go up, as they have recently, I've been talking to people, Kate, and you no doubt are the same. They say, geez, interest rates are really high at exactly the same time that cost of living is really high. So what does that do? It means that the savings rate of the country has gone way down. And this is something that we've tracked over the last few months doing this segment. The savings rate at the moment, household savings is only 1.1%. And I dare say it's in January, it would have gone negative. And you, what does that mean to all of us listening and our investing and our money management? Well, it probably means that if all of Australia is about to dip into negative savings rates, they may have accumulated savings from COVID and whatever, but they're going to start to be eaten into really quickly. And the RBA who sets the interest rates in Australia knows this. And so as they be, those savings begin to dwindle and people begin to struggle, 
you'll start to see businesses feel the pinch that can result in increasing unemployment, which then would trigger and set off an alarm bell at the RBA to say, we need to start dropping interest rates. Because if they wait too long, that can become a self-fulfilling cycle. Um, but that's that. Now, let's bring this back to personal finances, Kate. Because mm-hmm. I think it's important to understand this bigger picture because you might have to reduce your goals a bit this year because you just can't cut any more costs. And so yeah. understanding this bigger picture, you can actually be kind to yourself and go, okay, maybe I can't save or invest as much as I did last year. And there's a lot of forces at play and I don't have control over every single factor. And so maybe I do need to save. Well, I can't save as much this year. I can still make progress, but I can't make as much. Yeah, I was chatting to a friend of ours who shall remain nameless for this. She was telling me that um, she's still saving money, but nowhere near as much as she had in the past. And she's got a big mortgage. Uh, and I hear people you know, that have a million-dollar mortgage, and you think they're super wealthy. Uh, again, I won't name names. It's not the place for that. But the, a friend of ours probably has a house that if you looked at it on paper, it's probably worth $1.5 million. And you think, wow, it's pretty good. And we're in Melbourne, not Sydney, so the context matters. Um, and it's a beautiful house. They just renovated it. Um, it's on a nice little block. It's got good views, etc. And when I caught up with him, I hadn't seen him for about a year. He was working like seven days a week. So he didn't even get to enjoy the house that they spent money on to build. Because he's trying to pay the mortgage. And he's like, even with me working at that amount, we're not saving money. We're just paying off the mortgage, hoping that interest rates fall. So we, well, you, put out a question to the community, basically what amount of savings would make you feel comfortable, like emergency funds, right? Yeah, it's it's interesting, that question of how much is enough. Um, This question was broad, so it could include emergency fund and savings for other things. But what would make you feel comfortable. And the answers really varied. There was $5,000 all in offset, but 50000 makes me feel okay. Trying to get to 10000 then I'll feel at ease. 15000 depends on my goals, but right now 26000 50000 emergency fund for family of five. Someone else said six months pay. So it, it really varied. What would it be for you? I've asked you this before. You don't have to say dollar figures. Maybe what, how do you think about it? I think at the moment, knowing in my offset, which is where I have my emergency fund, that I've got six months of my mortgage and key bills that I need. That would make me feel comfortable because if something happens, I'm out of work, I have a medical issue, I know that that money's in the account and it can keep getting direct debited and things can run on autopilot for at least six months without me having to think about it. Yeah. So that's my priority at the moment, just making sure I've funneled a bit more into my offset. So it naturally means that I'm not investing that much because I only have so much left over at the end of each month and life has gotten more expensive. So I'm Mm. directing it to the offset at the moment. Yeah. And I'd say that's a lot of people, right? Particularly in the second half of 2023, I feel like that was like one of the salient points. Like some of the, the things that people were thinking about, but came to us and asked these types of questions, um, especially over on the Investors Podcast, the Australian Investors Podcast, because we do Q&As weekly over there. And I would say that that was at least every week, we'd have at least one Mm. that we'd air on the show, but there were more in the question bank. Um, The reality is that when interest rates are high, it makes sense to put money in a savings account for two reasons. One is it makes you feel comfortable because you've got a buffer against your thing that's costing you a lot of a mo- lot of money, which is your mortgage or your rent for that matter. 
Um, but two, you also get a better return on the money that you have in your savings account or offset account if you've got that. So there are two really strong reasons to do that. But obviously, that means that you're doing less investing. Yeah. And when interest rates start to fall again, which they inevitably will, they move in cycles, when interest rates start to fall again, that's when you'll see the investment side of things start to pick up. And I don't just mean like more people doing it. I mean the actual values of the stocks, of property, of these types of things pick up because it's supply and demand, but also because businesses also benefit from lower interest rates. So if we know interest rates are going down, businesses will start to get more profitable and so on and so forth. And so this is why Kate and I always say on the show, even if you're not saving $1,000 a month, maybe you're saving $100 a month, use one of the micro-investing platforms and keep engaged and keep the habit because the habit is what will keep you going for the rest of your life. Yeah, and when you have more disposable income, you can increase the amounts you're putting into your investments, into your savings because you've got that habit there. It's easier to scale it back up. Yeah, absolutely it is. So take advantage of that really strong habit that you've got and use it whatever way it comes to you because you might be earning $80,000 now as an income Maybe next year you earn sixty thousand dollars if you're, you know, a tradie or something like this. But maybe the year after that you earn one hundred eighty thousand. And so, as long as you have the habit, as you go through those different periods of your life, you will maximise the amount of saving and investing you're going to do because you have the habit. Uh, a lot of people that don't have the habit suffer from lifestyle inflation, mm-hmm. which is where you earn more, you spend more. Uh, pretty simple. Um, and we all suffer from that from time to time, I guess. But Keeping the habit is the most important. So, okay, I'll give a brief macro update. So, this is, I wanted to just reflect, given this is the first one of 2024, just reflect briefly on 2023. We did have a bit of a look at this in December. Uh, So, if you do want to go back and have a listen to that, have a listen to that. Um, But this one's got the fullness of the year. Um, So, the NASDAQ 100 ended up 53%. If you did the hedged ETF version, it was 51%. Uh, the S&P 500 through the IVV ETF was 25%. So that's in US dollars. The ASX 200 ETF, I did STW for this. Um, that was 13.8%, so a good return. The FTSE, which is the UK stock market, and I looked at the F100 ETF from BetaShares. That was 12.8%. Uh, the Hang, said, Hang Seng had a horrible time and has continued that horrible time into 2024, down 7% this year. IAF which is a bond ETF for Australian bonds, was up 5%. V-Bond, which is the global bond ETF from Vanguard, up 5%. Cash currently offered offers 5%. NUG, which is the gold ETF from Van Eck, good name, or a good ticker symbol, NUG, <laughs> that was up 12.4%. But the hedged version, the currency hedged version from BetaShares, which is QAU, was 10.7%. So again, what we've seen in all of that data so far is that the currency is driving some returns, right? So that's one of the key takeaways from today's episode. Uh, Bitcoin was up 147%. Um, that was pretty spectacular, just calendar year. But if you took the year before, it was down 60%. So win some, lose some, I guess, over in crypto <laughs> land. Um, Aussie dollar was down 5.8%. It's now at 65 cents or just under. Um now, if we just look at that, there's some general themes there. This is the first year that bonds had a really good return in a long while. Bonds, I think, are in for a good couple of years. That's just that's not necessarily a prediction. It's just more the cyclical moves over time. You can see interest rates are now higher, which means bond, bonds pay more interest. Um, and then if interest rates fall, the value of bonds go up because they pay more interest. Um, 
gold, you see had a really good year, whether you're in Aussie dollars or in US dollars. Uh, it's not always the case that they both move in tandem. Sometimes the currency has a bigger predictor on the gold price, a gold return. Um, we can see the US stock market, in, in particular tech stocks, absolutely were just f phenomenal performers last year. I don't really have a view whether that will or won't be the same in this year. I, I can't imagine there'd be 53% returns another year. That would be just... It would be never recorded if that happened. Um, the ASX 200 being up 14%. I think this is really interesting for a lot of folks. This is the total return. So this includes dividends. Yep. Um, this is really interesting for a lot of people because if you just read the headlines last year, going back to the top of the show, you would have thought it was a terrible time. Yeah, it's interesting you reading off all these figures. Like It was a good year for markets last year. Incredibly good. 13.2% is the 120-year average like per annum. So if you take the 120-year average of the Australian stock market, it's 13.2%. So we did slightly better than that. Again, I'm using the STW ETF, and you can go into the uh, the ASX's monthly ETF or ETP report, they call it, and it's got the total return, so it includes dividends. That's important to remember for Australian ETFs especially, to look at the total returns, because often a significant portion of the returns in Australia are driven by dividends. Absolutely. So you've got the US stock market just absolutely powering ahead, like unbelievable. You've got the Hang Seng, which is the Chinese market, in effect. That was deeply negative. Um, that was the outlier. And the interesting thing is if you look at data, Kate, right, this is the thing that always gets me about not relying too much on the data, to your point earlier on, is for like five years, all the investment consultants who are paid big dollars and have all the fancy software in the world, they have all said how cheap the Chinese stock market is, and then it's more negative than anything. Um, and it just goes to show you can't just invest based on data if you invest this way. You want to have some common sense as well. Um, and all in all, it was an absolutely unbelievable year. And this is what leads us to the next point, which is that there's really t two different types of people in Australia right now. There's the people who have mortgages. It's going to be a pretty tough few months and probably a you know, probably a year, let's be real on this interest rates really come down. Um, but then there's the other people who have experienced what is known in finance as the wealth effect. So the wealth effect is this idea that your assets go up in value when you're sleeping, which is like what people might call passive income, except you don't get the income. It's like the value of your property going up. It's the value of your super going up. It's the value of your portfolio going up, even if you haven't sold it. And what actually happens with that? is just the fact that it's gone up makes you feel more confident in your finances mm -hmm. and then allows you to spend more. And so the second group, which is typically an older demographic, like going on retirement, in retirement, this group of Australians has had a wonderful couple of years because you're not as dependent on your salary or your job. You can afford the $10 mainland vintage cheese that I absolutely love from the supermarket. Um, and it's fine because your term deposit's paying you 5% now, where it was paying you like 1% two years ago. And so that cohort of Australians are spending, mm. really, really spending. And the other cohort with the mortgages and rent are feeling the pain in this cost of living crisis. Yeah, it's interesting, these two different dynamics, because I'm getting so much data coming through from super funds, banks saying nearly all of their customers are saying cost of living is a pressure, especially for young people with impacting mental health and things. But I'm also seeing other data come through that, oh, from luxury escapes and other travel companies that most Australians they're surveying, which probably are travel-focused customers, yeah. are planning adventures in Australia or overseas this year. Yeah, there's a lot of um, 
people that couldn't get out during COVID, the older people in particular, not to stereotype too much, that are now exploring overseas travel. Um, and some of them for the first time, which is wonderful. And that's because they finally can afford to do it, knowing that their personal financial situation is underpinned by this term deposit that pays them more. The bonds, because particularly like post-retirement people, like the people that are in our membership or would want to invest with us, a lot of those people have a substantial bond portfolio. So for us youngies, we don't have as much in the bond column because we don't need that because we've still got 20 or 30 years until we retire. But for the older folk who are in retirement or are very close to it, they tend to have anywhere between, let's say, 20% and some of them 50 or 60% in that defensive side. And so for them, they've just been through five years of negative returns and now they're getting 5 6% from that plus some franking credits from their shares. They're all of a sudden thinking, how good is this? All that hard work has paid off. And so they're spending and that's great. That's good for them. But it is having an impact because the political system, and neither party I'm saying here, they're both the same um, here in Australia, the political system wants to cater to the most voters. And the most voters are the cost of living crowd, that first crowd. And unfortunately, some of the things that they're doing seems to be policies that would further stimulate the cost of living crisis. Um, and so hopefully that can kind of be reined in and we can start to see interest rates come down. Inflation was 4.1% in the December quarter, which was probably in line with most reasonable people's expectations. But what it basically meant is that, and unfortunately we are recording this three hours before the RBA makes its interest rate decision in February. So we keep, keep doing that. So keep we? this in mind. We could be very wrong. We're recording it three hours before that decision, but most likely they will hold today. And so by the time you hear this, it'll be just after the fact. So you could prove us wrong and say, aha. Um, but most likely, interest rates will stay where they are. Um, and the current expectation, at least in my mind, is for a gradual decline in interest rates over time as inflation comes under control. So that's good news because it means that we're not going to keep getting whacked every month for increasing mm. um, interest rates. And the, the, the funny thing is, I don't know about UK, but when you have a mortgage, you hear the decision... Uh, from the RBA, interest rates go up on the first Tuesday of the month, but you don't get the letter from your bank until like two or three weeks <laughs> yeah. later. So then it's like a double blow. You get like a left and a right hook. It's uh, like, oh, damn it. Like, um, so hopefully you don't get any of those letters in the mail this month. So, and I think the big question that everyone wants to know the answer to when people are listening to this one week's time, we'll all be at the Taylor Swift concert. Is that going to impact the economy? Well, Taylor Swift, yes. Um, Yes. Uh, well, yes. What's the tour called? The ARS tour? Is that what it's called? I'm not up to date. I'm not I'm a Swifty. I'm going with my sister. Oh, really? <laughs> Sold out concerts. Blink-182 for Monique as well. Like so many concerts are selling out, right? It's great to see people spending big on experiences. But no, that won't impact anything. Um, I think it's only when you zoom out that you get a fuller picture. Like if we share that savings data mm. at the top of the show, you're probably doing a lot better than you realize. But you've never thought that because you haven't zoomed out to see what the average Australian looks like. And um, my, I'll tell you something that's a bit from my, funny from my side of things. So I'm going to Europe in May and we're catching up with uh, my in-laws over there for a few nights in Rome. And we were just before Christmas, I was having a bet with my father and I said, if the Australian dollar hits 70 cents, you can buy me a pizza in Rome. And he said, because he was like locking the, because he, 
bless him, we may disagree a bit on this point, uh, he wants to lock in everything in advance. And I'm like, nah, mate, take the risk. <laughs> we could get better value for money if we hold off on the currency a bit, being the finance person that I am speaking of not making forecasts. And uh, he was like, okay, I'm locking it in. I'm like, okay, I bet you a pizza. And um, so far he's right, but we'll see what happens by May. I don't think I'm going to be right, but I think all things considered, um, we could. it could be interesting to see how the economy goes this year. And I think Australia will fare pretty well. Mm-hmm. All right. So takeaways, what do we want to take away action from today's episode? Uh, I think the cost of living will be here to stay, like this pressure that you're feeling. Uh, if you're a renter, notice when we say interest rates, it doesn't matter if we're talking about people with a mortgage or if you're renting. And the reason is interest rates impact you as a renter because your landlord puts up your rent, not just because there aren't enough houses to rent, but because it costs them more. So uh, a landlord is facing increasing in- interest rates. So they put up the rent. That's why uh, we have that situation happening in many parts of Australia. So that's probably not going to go away until we see interest rates go away or until they build more houses, which is a very long time. So that's not within your circle of control, but it is definitely within your circle of influence. You may be able to do things in your life, hard things, make hard choices that uh, ease that cost, uh, at least for the near term. Um, And they may seem small, like one percenters, but they do add up if you get 10 or 20 of those things that you can do. So high interest rates won't be here forever. The rental crisis won't be here forever. Um, You may have to get creative. That's what I would say is a bit of a action plan for this month is find ways that you can ease the cost of living. And it sounds trivial, I know, but maybe it's shopping at Aldi instead of Coles or Woolworths. Maybe it's comparing the prices of products that you need online first. If you haven't compared your energy provider recently, do that. Energy provider. Uh, Maybe it's, and it's going to sound like a blow, not a lot of people can do this, but maybe it's like selling the car that you no longer drive as much and maybe you can cycle to the station. Maybe it's um, I don't know, selling unwanted things in your house now and knowing that you can always buy them back in the future. Even just meal planning, that's something that I'm working on actively at the moment and that does help avoid a lot of unnecessary trips to the local IGA. I feel like there's two reasons people don't like to do that. One is the time element, of course. It's a lot of effort. But two is people think that it costs a lot to eat healthy um, because they spend the money up front. Whereas if you spend it on, a, you know, it's a Wednesday, I'll just get lunch out. Or, you know, I don't know what I want to do for dinner, so I'll just go and buy Thai food. If you added up all that stuff, it would probably cost a lot more than actually uh, preparing a healthy meal in advance. Yeah, I definitely noticed going to the supermarket and doing a whole week of groceries at once feels very expensive compared to it costing a lot more, but just doing a shop every day, every second day. Yeah. People, if you, like, you pay for the convenience of all those things that we just mentioned. I think if more people actually measured it over the week, they would find that the meal prep saves them. 50, 100 bucks a week. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on your family, of course. Um, so that would be that. Would be that. Just try and do that. Everything from an investment perspective, by the way, is fine. As far as I sit, like we don't, we can't tell you exactly what's going to happen in the future, but everything from a diversified portfolio perspective is fine. The way we've set up the portfolios at RASC is for slightly falling interest rates. Uh, we think the US will continue to grow pretty well. We don't own the NASDAQ 100 ETF, by the way. We don't own the one that went up 50%. And you might be like, well, why don't you own that one if you're so you know, focused on investing? It's because we own the IVV ETF. We're more diversified. And that's because the tech stocks might not always be the best performers. So you can't always bet on that happening. Um, we moved more of the portfolio into bonds recently, which is why we talk about them every month on this, so we can drop the hint. 
Uh, we remove gold from our portfolios because gold doesn't pay interest and interest rates are really high. So why would we hold gold right now? Um, and it did pretty well for us. Uh, so these types of things, everything's fine. Stay diversified. You'll be fine. Um, and that's about it. Wonderful. Yeah. Sorry that went a bit good... longer than we thought, but... That's oh, the first one for the year. First one We've for the year. We've got to cover a bit of ground before we can uh, get yeah. back into yeah. everything. And do, t- I am taking recommendations for pizza places in Rome. If anyone has been there, please... Let me know in the comments. I have a tiramisu place for you. I have to tell you after the show. I'll take anything because that's basically why I'm going to Rome. It's to sit outside the Colosseum and eat the food. Okay, that sounds tempting. Uh, Please let me know where I can go and get the most expensive, not really, a decently (laughs) expensive pizza for my father-in-law to pay me with when I win the bet. Well, we'll see if your uh, prediction comes Yeah, it won't. It won't. He's winning by far. It won't happen. It's a big reversal, but um, it did look good for about a week. All right, Kate. Well, this is heaps of fun. You can get in contact with us by the links in the show notes. Uh, there are heaps of resources there. If I was to point you to one resource for this month, it would be the same as last month, which is the household savings ratio. Uh, it shows you what the average household is saving in percentage terms as a result of their income. And it's 1.1% for December, which was very low. And we've also got our 24 ways to save and invest in 2024, which will be helpful cost of living wise. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a listen to that. Check it out. Check out the document because those one percenters do really add up. Take our word for it. Take anyone in the fire community's word for it. They do add up. So check those out. And Kate, as always, thanks for joining me. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Australian Finance Podcast. We hope you learned something new and were able to take one thing away from this episode. If you're keen to learn more, head on over to Rask Education and take one of our free money and investing courses. You could even become a Rask Core member for less than your Netflix subscription each month. And don't forget to subscribe for new episodes in your inbox every week. Plus, if you enjoyed the show, we'd love you to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and send any questions our way via the link in the description. And before we go on, did this podcast contain personal financial advice just for me? Absolutely not, Kate. Our podcast actually contains general financial information only. What that means is the information does not take into account your financial needs, goals, objectives, or even your situation. So because of that, it's important that you consider if the information is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on it. If that all sounds a bit confusing or you're still working out what your needs are, it's a great idea to consult a licensed and trusted financial planner. And don't forget to do your own research. Want to create the perfect ETF portfolio? Join InvestSmart's free live masterclass webinar on the 19th of June to learn how to build a portfolio of exchange-traded funds that match your financial goals. Hosted by money expert Effie Zahos and Paul Clitheroe, one of Australia's leading financial voices and the chair of InvestSmart. You'll hear about the evolving economic landscape and what it means for investors, as well as top tips on selecting the best ETFs. Ask your questions live and transform your investment strategy. Visit investsmart.com.au forward slash events to grab your place today. For more than a decade, I've been hunting for the best investors and their methods, strategies and tools for investing. After years in the industry, countless books, a few degrees, and 1,000 podcasts and live shows, I've rolled this accumulated knowledge into something called Rask Invest. If you've ever heard me talk about a core and a satellite, active and passive, true long-term compounding, or you simply want to know exactly how I would invest, now is your chance. Rask Invest is our new investment service 
designed for all types of investors who want professional management of their core portfolio at a low cost from a team they trust. Rask Invest helps you automate your wealth creation and passive income. Simply click the link that says Invest with Owen in your podcast player to join one of our live platform walkthroughs or book a call with us. You can also view the Rask Invest PDS and TMD and get invested with me.